the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. This podcast is brought to you by Gray Capital, an independent wealth management company. Gray Capital combines the art of financial planning with the science of investing, helping you achieve your financial goals. Visit graycapital.co.za for more. Gray Capital is an authorized financial services provider. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to episode six of Magic Markets with your host, The Finance Ghost, and Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. This is the new shortened format that we're trying out, and we're hoping that you're enjoying it and that you can uh, finding it easier to find a gap in your week to listen to us for 15 minutes, hopefully add a bit of value uh, to your life. So, uh, Mo, you're currently sitting in a very cold and snowy Canada. I'm sitting in Cape Town where, you know, just a few years ago, we were convinced we would run out of water. And uh, those were very scary times. And it's amazing how small we feel when Mother Nature decides to really have a go at us. And obviously, COVID-19 is certainly the latest, greatest example of that. There are lots of those who believe that climate change exists. There are those who don't. Uh, You know, we're not scientists. We're investors and traders. So the practical question for us, if we're putting on our finance hat and only our finance hat, is do governments, do policymakers actually believe that climate change exists? Because if they do, it's going to drive an investment trend of note. The Trump administration wasn't big on it, but the Biden administration certainly is. And that means that it's back on the menu as a core investment theme going forward. Would you agree that it's uh, it's pretty much topical again, isn't it? I think so. Thanks, uh, Ghost. I mean, th- this is something that's close to my heart, not just because I'm sitting in, in freezing cold Canada while you guys are all sitting down enjoying the balmy summer weather down in South Africa. But cl- climate change is real. Let's Let's get honest about it. Let's not be climate change denialists. And I think those exist. And, and I think the science has definitely shown it to us. If you look at what happened, and in my own experience, over the last month, uh, you know, a month ago in the middle of November, we were having uh, unseasonably high temperatures. You know, we hadn't had any snow yet. Uh, and literally within that month, within a four-week time period, we went from that to having a record storm with winds over 100 kilometers an hour that took out power lines. It was quite chaotic. And then overnight, we had like 30 centimeters of snow, which was a record amount of snowfall. So, you know, if if people living there and they're going to laugh, oh, yeah, global warming and you had the snowfall. The fact is, it's about the volatility of weather patterns where you can swing 10, 15 degrees within a span of days. That becomes quite damaging. Now, like you say, Trump administration had their heads in the sand. Biden administration definitely doesn't. In fact, you know, they've indicated that they're going to sign back up to the Paris Accord. So let's maybe go into that. What's the Paris Accord? What was the Paris Agreement? Uh, I think there was an agreement that was reached uh, again through the United Nations in 2016. And it was signed by 194 member states and the European Union, all basically committing towards dealing with greenhouse gas emissions. How do they mitigate it? Uh, and also, very importantly, the finance aspect of it. So 
Do we finance industries that are dirty? Do we finance industries that contribute to these emissions? And how do we start to change the financial uh, structure of markets so as to incentivize responsible behavior and, uh, you know, basically behavior that is cognizant of the damage that we're doing to the planet. Now, the Paris Accord set a, a two degree Celsius level, uh, and that was that we shouldn't have global temperature averages moving more than two degrees above what is deemed pre-industrial levels. Where are we right now? We're at one and a half degrees, so we're pretty close. Uh, and again, if you look at a chart on that, you can just see that we're getting ever closer. So will the agreement, the Paris Agreement, actually seek to keep us below that threshold? It's debatable right now. We'll go into some of the nitty-gritty about it. But an interesting thing is, just last week, the Amazon uh, rainforest was on A, was on fire, uh, and B, there's still massive deforestation happening. And that, that led me to write my blog post saying, Amazon under fire, which was cheeky because I knew people would click on it because they think I'm talking about Amazon. But it's to raise awareness clickbait but but it's important because you need to bring people's attention to something that's it's not pressing it's not urgent until it becomes urgent and this is an existential threat that will materially change either a how we live but definitely will also change how we invest as well as the economies that we build for tomorrow Yes, I agree with you. I'm certainly no climate change uh, denialist either. My anecdotal story is when I grew up in Joburg, hail was almost a fun event. And, you know, there'd be little white stones in your garden. And these days, hail in Joburg is literally an insurance nightmare. And they send messages out two hours before and everyone runs for the hills because there's stones that go through your patio roof. Now, it's very anecdotal and it's certainly not backed up by science. But I feel like the world's, uh, the, the world's climate has changed in, in our lifetime, certainly. So there is a need for governments to step in and create these policies that drive capital in the right direction because the reality is we can't always trust capitalists to do the right thing can we they sometimes are purely profit driven the funny thing about it is that long-term sustainability and profit are not different that's something that i certainly believe is it's the same thing if i'm a long-term investor in a company and i'm taking a 10 15 year view you know if i've bought these shares so that baby ghost will have a, a better education one day that company needs to be sustainable and much of that must come from good behavior from an environmental perspective. So, you know, I've never been shy to say that I did buy into Sassol, for example, when things uh, when things went wrong in the economy. And Sassol is one of the dirtiest companies there is, literally. However, their strategy is to become Sassol 2.0. And if they don't do it, Sassol will fail entirely. It will just go away. It will be the fossil, like the fossil fuels it relies on. So there's this pressure from shareholders, from shareholder activists, all these different areas to actually push these companies towards doing the right thing ultimately. I mean, Mo, what are your views on, on ultimately getting this capital allocated into the right place? Are we doing enough? What could we do better? So in short, no, we're not doing enough. Uh, I think it's only starting now. I think the trends were nascent for quite some time. And, and like you say, doing good and making money should not be mutually exclusive concepts. I think after the Paris Accord, we, we had the, this thing that was launched, which was the UNPRI or the United Nations Principles for Responsible Investment. And that started to create a, a more holistic framework for how institutional asset managers, investors in general, should start to contextualize their investment decisions. Uh, you've also seen, again, out of that Paris Accord, the fact that banks have now, and there's a couple of hundred banks globally that have decided to not fund coal projects, as an example. So they've started to create this, this policy framework. And I always say, I say capital is like water, right? So capital always flows to the path of least resistance. Uh, now, that's a good and a bad thing. In this instance, I think the policy awareness that has started to, to rise, and I think South Africa is probably a bit ahead of the curve here relative to some other global capital markets, the policy awareness has started to shift 
capital flows accordingly. I think as investors start to frame ESG, not just in terms of their own internal investment policies, but in terms of the products that they put out, you're starting to see the rise of of SRI, socially responsible investment funds. You're starting to see the rise of ESG, uh, environmental, social and governance orientated funds. And so this is bigger than just the environment. It's about what do we do that's right for society? I mean, South Africa's had some spectacular governance failures over the last several years. We don't have to go into the long list there. But the fact of the matter is that ESG investing starts to address a lot of these initiatives. If you go back to those UNPRI um, principles, they start to address a lot of the, the, the policy imperatives that South Africa needs to address itself. Water scarcity. Uh, how do we deal with poverty? How do we deal with hunger alleviation and food security? Now, how awesome would it be if we can start to unleash the power of global capital towards doing societal good and making money in the process? I think that is fantastic. I think we're at early stages here and very quickly it's starting to catch up. There is a code for responsible investment in South Africa called CRISA. They've been around for some time. They plug nicely into the UNPRI and I think a lot of your institutional managers have started to integrate this into their processes. So you're probably picking it up indirectly through some of the funds that you're investing in. But the the last point I want to maybe stress here is that the South African market is really small. So it's very hard for an investor who's got a benchmark out there to run away from the likes of Sassel, assuming they don't like Sassel. By the same token, companies need to start incorporating this into their triple bottom line reporting. Uh, And the question is, Do they start to move towards, and this applies for countries and for companies, carbon neutrality by utilizing offsets, someone else's carbon negative, so you can buy them those credits from them and offset it, or do they actually start to fundamentally change how they do business? I don't think we've quite landed on that one yet. And I think there's a strong demand from a younger generation coming through the ranks here that companies, banks, all these sort of entities need to get better at environmental stuff. So it's going to become an investment imperative for a hundred reasons. Just attracting staff. <laughs> it's as these millennials are coming through the ranks, it, that kind of stuff is going to just get more and more and more important. And you know, it's interesting you mentioned the banks because hot off the press is that the Pretoria High Court has just overturned an environmental approval for a 1,200 megawatt coal-fired uh, power station in Limpopo, and it's been in court since 2017. It came under fire from environmental groups. This Tabametsi station, and then the banks pulled out. And once the banks pull out, it almost doesn't matter what the court says anymore. You know, even though the court said, no, this is not going to happen, it was dead anyway from the banks. So the PIC pulled out, the DBSA pulled out, the private banks pulled out. No investors simply means no projects. And there's a lot of rhetoric around, you know, should we be tapping into our pension savings to do infrastructure projects? And there's a lot of fear around that. Is there an argument to say that, well, if it's renewable energy and it's for the greater good of South Africa and there's a proven return, which is at least acceptable for the risk, then maybe that is a great use of uh, some of the money that in any event is trapped in South Africa. You know, we did a show a couple of shows ago around pension funds and, and the regulations on that and where the money can go. How would you feel about that money going into renewable projects locally? So I don't even think it's a, it's a question because I think it's, it's happening already. It's happening. It's, it's not a question of the design. I think the design is there. We've discussed the UNPRI and the SDG type frameworks that a lot of institutional investors are applying. 
And the same would apply within pension funds. You, you might not be seeing it explicitly, but it would apply within those funds. I think the question now is about implementation. I think there's probably a shortage of, of listed uh, instruments, for example, that would give retail investors or general investors access to some of these projects. There have been some good examples of green bonds that have been launched in, in, in South Africa. And, and, and again, you can Google it. You'll probably find a, a list of those. I know, for example, the Western Cape, or it may have been City of Cape Town, did a green bond a little while ago. Um, so it's it's out there. Mo, what the is a green bond? Is, you need to explain what a green bond is. Yeah, great question. I mean, it's effectively companies that or cities or entities that would raise this funding with an express purpose of the fact that that money would be allocated towards an environmental type of project. So you want to build yourself solar. You demarcate that project as this is green, it's good for the economy. Any proceeds from that bond issuance would be tied to that specific project. So it's a green bond or a water bond. They, 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 they fancy names, but at the end of the day, it's just trying to funnel that water, the capital we're talking about. It's trying to funnel that towards projects that serve a greater good. Uh, and the, the interesting thing here is I throw back to my time when I was in, in China. Again, you know, something that we spoke about in the previous podcast. Um, uh, and our listeners can go and listen to that one as well. But when I was in China, one of the criticisms we got from a South African delegation perspective was that the DFIs, the large funds they were saying to us, they just don't see projects that are well packaged coming out of Africa. What do they mean when they say that is that everyone else who's bringing projects to China for funding is saying, Here's the project scope. It's a green project, but we've also ticked all of these regulatory boxes. We've gotten all of the political people on sides. The regulation is aligned. We've got sign-off from all the departments. All it needs is you press the button, boom, the money hits the project and we go. And I think that's where I say it's about the implementation. And we start to see, I mean, here, for example, you mentioned the thing that was overturned by the court. The fact that there's back and forth and fighting means that there's a lack of alignment between some policymakers and the longer term strategic objectives of the country and then also of the pension funds, of the investors, of the asset allocators. So once we start to align all of that, that's when you really get the flywheel of global capital because it's not just South African pension funds. Global investors are looking for the stuff. They're hungry for it. They're great. And now's the time to try and tap that to at the same time simultaneously meet national strategic imperatives. So renewables, just one piece of the puzzle. There's, there's water. I mean, South Africa is water scarce and there's massive investment that can go into that sector. There's sustainable fishing, for example. There's battery technology and the potential for hydrogen fuel cells. We, we can spin a million ideas out of this thing and it's giving us a great hit list for future shows. But that just shows you how big the world is out there and that South Africans need to start thinking a lot more strategically about how we can tap global capital to unleash some of that growth within South Africa's borders. Every time you say the capital is like water, I'm terrified you're going to throw out a dad joke about liquidity. So I'll, I'll do it on your behalf now. <laughs> um, you know, and the policies around ESCOM have really hampered our progress towards renewables, haven't they? Government's dragged its heels terribly. We live in this country of sunshine, wind, dams. We have everything. It's right here. We don't actually need coal power. And uh, yet the problem is ESCOM is this big lumbering giant and if it goes bankrupt there's a huge nightmare and and government has, has really hurt us in terms of just not approving um the renewable projects quickly enough there's been a lot of issues around that we have to hope this will change right do you think it will so the fact is, is ESCOM's too big to fail. I hate to say that, but we, we've tied ourselves. I, I remember four or five years ago, we had the same debate about ESCOM. Its debt at the time was around the 300 billion mark. It's now more than double that. So we've chosen to tie ourselves or we've tied this albatross to our own chest. 
yes, South Africa is blessed with great sunshine. So solar is fantastic in South Africa. There are some deficiencies. So, for example, we've got, the world has to go a lot further in terms of storage of energy and battery tech. I mean, there's, there's some phenomenal stories. In fact, just this week, another company has gone public and they have developed what's called a solid state battery. So as the stuff starts to, 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 to grow globally, it increases the probability of uh, even more new energy initiatives in South Africa. The fact is South Africa has lots of coal. It's very cheap. Eskom's going to be with us for the foreseeable future. We need to unlock regulation in that sector to incentivize entrepreneurs to come in with their capital from wherever, from in South Africa, from outside of South Africa, and just start throwing it at projects. I, I think something like hydrogen fuel cells with South Africa's large natural resource endowment in platinum, and this is the subject for another show, I think that should be something we should be throwing tons of investment into just developing the IP, developing the technology. Our eye is not on the ball because we are still distracted by the sideshow of politicking and thinking that is really appropriate for South Africa of yesteryear, maybe a decade or two ago. Let's move ahead. Let's look ahead. Let's plan ahead. Yeah, Mo, that's a great summary. And of course, it's the royal we here because actually you're sitting in Canada. And and, and part of that is because of because of what's going oh, on. I'm it's South African. I'm South still African. South African. There it's we go. In the snow. In, and at the end of the day, every single South African in South Africa, outside of South Africa, as well as, as I mentioned, global investors, the interests are aligned. So it's time South African policymakers start to align themselves to that so that we can actually push this agenda ahead. Well, there we go. That's a stronger message as you'll, as you'll ever get. And that's all we have time for. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. We've been joined by Mo Nose. It's been another great one. And we look forward to seeing you for the next one. Thank you, Mo. Thanks so much, Ghost. Thanks to our listeners. Remember, go and rate us on whichever platform you're listening to us on uh, and subscribe. This podcast is brought to you by Gray Capital, an independent wealth management company. Gray Capital combines the art of financial planning with the science of investing, helping you achieve your financial goals. Visit graycapital.co.za for more. Gray Capital is an authorized financial services provider. Remember to visit thefinanceghost.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.